Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. My name is Dwayne, one of the pastors here at the district, and I uh, just want to welcome you this morning, and just bear with me, I've been practically like snorting emergency like all week, trying to not get the sickness that's like been going around the Gibbs household, but uh, I was like really unable to, to just avoid it, um, so it ended up kind of getting me over the last couple of days, so I'm kind of on the back end of it, but, um, but still have a lot of kind of just deep coughing going on, so I'm going to try not to do that because it'll really blow this up, but um, anyways, it might happen, just to warn you. Uh, We are in a series right now in Epiphany, um, which is just Christ making himself known um, after he has come uh, via Advent, and so Advent was kind of that awaiting period for the Lord to show up um, now that he's here. What is he doing and how is he making himself known? And so the way that we've um, kind of maneuvered our epiphany season this year was to look at how Christ is making himself known through the church um, and primarily the mission of the church at large. And so what we've been saying is, and it's kind of tying into the mission of the district church, is that at large... God's main goal is for his glory to spread over all of the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's, that's what he wants to see happen because he knows that is the best thing for people to receive is his glory, for them to see him, to know him, to experience him, because that's the greatest joy for them. And so God wants to get his glory out, and the primary way in which he gets his glory out is through the making of disciples. Jesus giving the Great Commission at the end of his three-year ministry after he uh, died on the cross, rose again, spent 40 days with the disciples. The last thing that he shares with them is to go into all nations, make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so this is the, the literally the commission, the mission statement, literally just if, if, if every single church just said we exist to glorify God and make disciples, it would contextualize every single culture. It would transcend every single time period. Like that's, that's the primary thing we're called to do. Now there's a bunch of different ways in which we do that, but if that is the main goal, you're succeeding as a church. Glorify God, make disciples. And so for us, the way that we kind of break that down in the ministries that we offer are the, uh, as far as deducing it down, are the discipleship traits that we see. A disciple who is following Christ will embody these values. And these values that we see are gospel centrality. That's why um, when we say we exist to make disciples or to glorify God by making disciples through gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, and gospel-centered multiplication. We are redundant with gospel centrality because it is the gospel that fuels everything that we do. The gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. So if, if, if we're not constantly pushing towards the good news of Jesus Christ, then a disciple is not going to worship. A disciple is not going to want to belong to the body of Christ. A disciple is not going to want to serve. And a disciple is not going to multiply themselves by making more disciples. It's not going to happen if we're not tied to, anchored to, abiding in the good news of Jesus Christ and who he is. And so gospel centrality has to be the very means by which 
we actually glorify God and make disciples. So if we are a church that is not centered around the gospel in everything that we do, then we cease to be a church. We cease to exist in that way, and we should remove it from our name and just be some type of, of social club that, that tries to serve a need. But the reality is, is we have to stay anchored to the gospel. Now, as we stay anchored to the gospel, that gospel is going to change and transform us. The good news is going to push back the darkness that is our flesh and our sinful identities, and it's going to bring out the identity of Christ within us. And that identity of Christ that is within us as Christians, as believers living under the banner of the gospel, that identity is going to create fruit in our lives that are going to fall within these four categories. Worship, community, service, and multiplication. And so the, the second week we covered was worship. Worship for us is just the fuel for discipleship. A disciple worships. Like we exist for worship. We exist to give God glory, to express to him thanks and gratitude for everything that he's done, everything that he has created, everything that he's doing in our hearts and in our minds and in our emotions and our affections and our thoughts and our intellection, like Everything that he is doing, we are to give him credit and glory rather than giving ourselves credit and glory. So that's worship. And then we moved into community, which was last week, um, which is the context for discipleship. And we believe as we look throughout the scriptures that you do not see discipleship operating in individualism. There is no such thing as a just and only personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The church does not exist in an individual person. The church exists as a body of believers coming together in order to work out their discipleship. That's why you see in the New Testament 59 one another's where Paul is giving commands empowered by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell people to get into community, to get into relationships so that you can work out your salvation, so that you can work out your, your sanctification, your growth in the gospel. Because here's the reality, is you have blind spots. You have areas in your life that you don't know you're still sinning in. You have, and when I say sinning, I'm not just referring to like, well, I don't go and get drunk and I don't go and like uh, molest people and I'm not an adulterer. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not just talking like those things in sin. Like sin can also be sins of commission, which are um, the things that I'm, uh, should be doing and I'm not doing. And so I need someone to call me out on that. Hey, maybe you should be serving and you're not serving. And so therefore we want to come around you and see why are you not doing this? Because this is a characteristic trait of the gospel. A disciple serves because we're following Jesus who serves, which is what we're going to be talking about today. So all of this fleshes itself out in community. We spur one another on to love and good deeds. We encourage one another. We, we um, stir up one another. We correct one another. We rebuke one another. We hold each other accountable. All of that works itself out in community. And then that comes to today is service, which is the overflow of discipleship. So as we are worshiping and as we are in community, it's going to push us towards um, this is not about me. How can I steward myself in such a way that I'm creating capacity, time, and resources 
to now consider the interest of others so that rather than serving me, I'm now choosing to serve others with how I spend my life and steward my life and work my life. Like it's, it's no longer how do I come to church so that it pours into me, but rather as I'm a part of the church and I'm worshiping God and it's about him and I'm being a part of the body of believers, I'm now having a shift in my perspective to where it's not about me, it's about them. And so now that it's about them, I'm now going to pour myself out to them, which actually fills you up more than if you were to come into this place trying to be served. And so that's what I hope we're able to see today is, is, is essentially a shift in perspective. Um, so there will be, at the end of the service, a sign-up list for all of the vacancies that we have in serving here. Um, I'm just kidding, <laughs> sort of. Uh, we, we are actually, over the next few weeks, because we do get this question a lot, which, which I love because it just shows the maturity, um, but we do get the question a lot, like, what are the areas where I can serve? Like, what are the opportunities to serve within the district? And sometimes being a small church plant, you think, well, there's probably a ton of areas in which I can serve because it's a church plant. Like, there's a lot of things that need to happen. But at the same time, because we're not a big church who has tons of programs and tons of ministries, there actually aren't a lot of areas and opportunities and capacities to just jump people in to, to offer service to them. So it's been, in a lot of ways, very informal. It's been like people coming up to us and being like, hey, I see that this is missing. Could I do this? Yes, absolutely. That's great. Greet people at the front door because you were not greeted when you came in here. That's a great ministry. Let's start that. And so like, there's, I see you laughing because that happened one day. And so... So there's these opportunities to do that, that that happen. But as we continue to grow, as we are, there are creating, like we feel the strains and we feel the complaints where things arise and we're like, we need to start plugging in areas where people can serve out their gifts that God has uniquely wired them to do. And so with that, we are going to begin over the next few weeks just putting before you, and it'll probably be in some, um, oh, what do they call those things? Announcement slides, I guess. Um, announcement slides of just here are some areas practically in which you can serve um, Christ as you serve the church. And also, just to add to my intro rant here on service, um, we don't want you to begrudgingly begin serving. We don't want you to, to just come into it and be like, okay, uh, he said I should serve, therefore I guess if I'm going to be a good Christian, I need to sign up and serve. Like, we're not after that. Um, what we're after, rather, is similar to what I mentioned last week when it comes to community. I don't want you just to jump into community because it's what you should do as a Christian. I want you to grow in your, your affections for one another, your love for one another. Therefore, because I love you, I want to belong with you. I want to be in your life. Same thing with service. Because I love Jesus and I see his example to serve, I want to do what my master does. I want to follow in the dust of my rabbi. I want to be like him. And therefore, because he served, I have this new desire and this new affection to want to serve because I am seeing it in him. And he is in me. And therefore, it should be there and it should be coming out. And so I want to just stir that up within you this morning, the affection to want to serve so that it then plays out in where you actually do serve. And then the last thing I'll say before we actually jump into the passage here is if you're not serving, I just want you to simply say yes to serving. 
But if you're like one of those oversaved people who you're serving in multiple capacities that aren't fitting the actual giftings that you have, I want you to start saying no to areas in which you're serving. Because when you're serving in an area that is not your uh, God calling and God uniquely wiring you and God driving you towards that, what happens? You get burnt out and you get frustrated and you start blowing up on us because you're doing something that God's not called you to do. Also, you're also creating um, the lack of capacity and space for someone else to jump into that because you're the one filling the role. And so if it's something that you're not designed to do and, call, and God has called you to do, we want you to start saying no to some things. And it's hard for us to tell you no because we're constantly looking for people to serve. And so it's like, you know, we'll just let them burn out and crash. Like, we'll deal with that when we get there. So we just need to put that on you at this point. You need to say no to the areas you're like, hey, I, I just need to say no to this because I really feel an affection and stirring for this area over here. Because when you say no to that, it allows us to be able to train up people, empower them, and give them an opportunity to serve in a capacity. So it's okay to say no as well. But you have to also say yes to something. <laughs> Mark 10, let's go there. We're going to be in Mark 10 today, uh, starting in verse 35. And as you're getting to Mark 10, verse 35, the, the point that I want to drive home first is to serve God requires humility. Um, it requires humility. It doesn't matter what the capacity or context you're serving in. Humility has to be one of the main prerequisites for serving the Lord in this. Um, so I want to show you this in Mark 10, 35. And the context for this is just a conversation arises between James and John, who are kind of some of the guys in, in the inner circle with Jesus. There's the Jesus with the 12 disciples, and then there's Jesus spending um, some extra time with Peter, James, and John. Not because they were better than the others. He just is, is training in a unique way these guys in order to fulfill certain roles within the church. And so as he's spending more time with them, you start to see some things kind of well up within them where they start to feel entitled in some certain areas. And, and again, this is why I love Jesus, because he calls out and he rebukes when, when things like this happen. And so um, I want to start here with this motive of heart. Verse 35, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And I'll stop there for just a minute. If you want to know what will begin to cause rifts uh, within the culture of the church, just start making requests for extra privileges because of whatever status you think you are. I mean, that's essentially like what is happening with these disciples is 
they're starting to believe that they're better than the rest of them. And because they're starting to believe that they're better than the rest of them, that they should, once they get to glory, sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus. For them, serving was a place of privilege and a place of status. It was a place of me being better than you or in some type of uh, elitist um, stage in which I'm, I want to be there. I wish, I wish it was, I want to sit at your right hand, your left hand, just because I want to be so close to you. But that's not where they landed. That's not where these were. And again, this gives me encouragement because I know where James and John end up. They become some of the greatest leaders of the early church. But at the same time, some of the greatest leaders of the early church are struggling with pride at this level and stage within their ministry. And Jesus has to come in and gently rebuke them in a way of showing what he was willing to do in order to come to create the church. What he was willing to do in his status and privilege to come and actually serve. And to serve to the capacity in which Jesus actually served. And so what he's trying to do now is James and John are coming from a Jewish culture, which is a hierarchy, which is a those who are the teachers, those who are the elders, those who are the leaders are those who are going to have the nicest houses, who are going to have the servants tending to them at all times. They're going to have the interns who are going and getting them coffee at all moments. They are going to be completely entitled at every moment to be able to ask whatever they want to ask, and therefore they're going to get whatever it is that they want to get. It's how they've been discipled within their Jewish culture. And so what Jesus is now about to do for them is he's going to completely flip on its head what they view serving the people actually looks like. To them, what they view serving the people is we need to be sitting on the throne next to you and exercising our authority over, you, over the people in order to get them to actually do what God's called them to do. That's how they view serving. And this is how Jesus responds to the way that they view serving. Verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them? But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So one of the things I love about Jesus is he never asks us to do something he is not willing to do himself. He doesn't ask us to do the dirty jobs that he's not willing to do himself. He doesn't ask us to, as Romans 12, 1 says, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice if he is not willing to offer his body and life as a living sacrifice. And not only just a living sacrifice where I'm making choices on a daily basis to sacrifice things that I'm doing in my life in order to serve others, he's actually going to be a sacrifice in which he offers his body up to death so that we are served by not having to go through the death ourselves, 
but instead apply the death of Jesus to our accounts. Therefore, we get eternal life forever. Jesus Christ, willing to go do the dirty jobs and willing to, in this culture, actually do the service that they were not willing to do because of their cultural statuses. And this is what I want to show you. These are three of the most taboo places for Jesus to serve in the first century that is him proving to the disciples, I'm willing to go do the difficult areas of service that you're not willing to go and do because you have culturally viewed these things as, quote-unquote, taboo. And the first one is gender inequality. In the first century, women were considered to be um, um, less than um, human, essentially. Less than human. Their, their voice in court would not hold up, which is great because the first people who uh, see that Jesus rose were women. And so the first testimonies that you get are women saying Jesus rose. And in that day and age, again, God just flipping it on its head. In that day and age, no one's going to trust a woman. And so God's like, you know what? We're going to start there. You want me to flex my power? We're going to start here. And he starts with women. And I love this because what Jesus does is not only does he go and serve a woman at a well, but he goes and serves a woman at a well who's also a Samaritan. Samaritan, according to the Jews, were half-breeds who, again, are less than. Like you, you talk about like the racial issues that we see in our society today. Our racial issues that we see in society today do not compare to the Jewish Samaritan racial. Um, like, like you don't just walk out and see today just constant daily stonings of people because of their bloodline. Now, yes, we have, we have uh, racial hate, acts, hate crimes of um, social media that's going out there. We have shootings that happen. Yes, that's probably the closest thing that we can get to within this context. But this was the cultural norm was for Jews to respond this way to Samaritans. I mean, literally, wouldn't even drive through their town. They're going to go three hours out of their way to go around Samaria because they don't want to potentially catch what the Samaritans have. And so Jesus shows up at this well with this woman and this Samaritan woman, and he offers her a drink. He serves her. This goes against everything. I mean, the disciples showing up, what are you doing? Like, how dare you? Jesus is willing to serve who they consider to be the least of the least. In addition, we also have the irreligious outcasts, which when we refer to sinners, we're just referring to everybody as sinners. But in this day and age, in the first culture century, like the religious people did not, did not view themselves as sinners. It was them versus everybody else. And so they kind of put it into a context of tax collectors and sinners. And so if you were a tax collector, you're just the downright worst job that you can possibly do. And then everyone else who's not Jews or at least studying within the Jewish culture, then you are sinners. And I love Jesus in Matthew 9, 9 through 12, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, 
Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Essentially, Jesus goes and calls Matthew to follow himself. Matthew follows Jesus, and, and the fuel of now worshiping Jesus creates the context for discipleship. Matthew starts a small group in his house, and he's like, hey, let's get, I want to invite my tax collector buddies and my sinner friends over. I want y'all to meet Jesus. Let's start studying Jesus. Let's get to know Jesus. And so Jesus is in a small group with these tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees, the religious elite, those who did not view themselves as sinners, why in the world is Jesus eating and dining with tax collectors and sinners? We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to go, like, the thing I hate about modern day church is when it creates the subculture that we are to do church together and try to avoid the world. And that's why you, you get the, the mindset of like, we need to culture our kids because we don't want the sin of the world to, to jump on them or, or we don't want them to catch the bug. And I'm like, they're sinners. Your kids are sinners. Like, the, the, you cannot create a subculture. You're just creating a deeper sinful thing than even what the world is. I mean, like, even, even the Bible itself refers to, like, us trying to clean ourselves up in religion as being filthy rags. And so this mindset of how dare Jesus go and actually be with people that Jesus was sent to be with, we've got to change our mindset. Are we willing to go to those who just essentially are unchurched, de-churched. People who, who, oh my, they might get drunk if I go out with them on Friday night. I don't know if I can be seen with someone who gets drunk. Go. Be with them. We cannot create this subculture where we just think, you know what, maybe one day as they're just walking down the road, Maybe they'll just kind of stumble into this refinery 46. Maybe if we don't put the church sign on it, they'll just walk in and think it's, I don't know, and, and they'll stumble down here and they'll get saved because they heard the gospel message. Awesome. No, that's not like Jesus went to Matthew's work and said, hey, follow me. Are we willing to do this in serving? And then in addition to the irreligious outcasts, another taboo place for Jesus to serve was just dirty service jobs. That was really the only thing I could come up with. Dirty service jobs that would kind of contextualize to us today. In first century, the best way that we can see this is feet washing. Feet washing. The feet washing that Jesus did at the Last Supper was not some spiritual, symbolic event that was like out of the norm of this like society. No, this was a practical deed of helpfulness. Why was it a practical deed of helpfulness? Because they wore sandals and they walked 10 to 20 miles a day not on sidewalks and concrete roads or asphalt. It was on dirty, grimy, um, just rock-ridden pebbles, stone pathways in which they would literally just pile up caking dirt on their feet and up to their shins as they walked around. So it was 
custom, like it was customary for them once they got to a house to literally wash their feet before entering into the house to clean themselves from the dirt and grime of the day. And so this was just a surface job, essentially. Like today, the, probably the closest thing we have is like maybe the shoe shining at an airport. I don't know. Like this, but like this was, I mean, because there's not like public like areas to go bathe yourself or something. Like this was not that, but, like, but this was the, just the way in which they could practically serve an area of need that everybody experienced on a daily basis. But for someone to actually do that for you was considered less than human because this is the dirtiest part of your entire body and also considered the lowest part of your body. Like they had such a societal cultural norm for the mind and the intellect. You know what the least of the body is? The feet and the toes. Like don't like this is why John the Baptist when he's referring to Jesus and he's referring to his status again Jesus in Luke 2, referring to John the Baptist as the greatest man who has ever lived, born of woman, greatest man who has ever lived. John the Baptist, of anybody, could have come to Jesus and said, hey, can I sit at your right hand? You said, I'm the greatest man who's ever lived. Can I sit at your right hand? John the Baptist has that opportunity at least to say that. But John the Baptist refers to himself as unworthy to even untie the sandals of Jesus. So he's seeing he's unworthy to even go down and stoop himself to the humility of untying the sandals of Jesus. That's because he has a cultural mindset of how unworthy that viewing is. And so guess what Jesus does? To flip it all on its head in John 13, 1 through 20. I want you to turn there with me. John 13, 1 through 20. I want you to see this. In John 13, starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Now, kudos to Peter for trying to be spiritual here. Like, again, John the Baptist saying what he said, like, Peter's trying to be in line with that. I know what John said. Like, it's unworthy to even untie your feet. I can't touch your feet. You're trying to come and touch my feet? Like, Jesus, don't do this. He's trying to get it right, but Jesus answered him. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Again, Peter missing the point. Um, and the moment here, 
I just love that about Peter. He just always gets it wrong, but yet Jesus just continues to empower him. So it gives me hope. Um, in serving, not only humility, but maybe just to add, add a dash of patience as well. Like that's what Peter really needed was just patience. Wait to see what Jesus is doing before you open your mouth. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. So again, he's, he's just revealing to them, like, you call me Lord and teacher, which means you have a cultural understanding that I'm essentially at the top of your hierarchy in, in your current cultural norm. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Again, he's just talking about Jews Iscariot there. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whomever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Essentially, what Jesus is saying here is if we humble ourselves as Jesus did to come not to be served, but to serve, this is where it all exists. Like the, the hinge of gospel effectiveness getting out is in the opportunity for every disciple to serve, to serve. Now there's hundreds, if not thousands of way in which we serve outside the church and that we serve inside the church. But the, the foundation has to be built on the humility of Christ in his status, in his um, um, prestige, for him to humble himself. I mean, just, just think of the incarnation. You've got Jesus, a part of the Trinity, who's existed for eternity, who when God created the heavens and the earth, included a multitude of angels who for eternity are in heaven just on repeat, glory in the highest. Glory, glory, glory is Jesus, Lord of all. Beautiful is he. They're just constantly telling God what God already knows, but he's just declaring over and over and over again how beautiful and majestic he is. And Jesus leaves that to come into the culture of earth as a baby in a manger and to grow up just as we are, who now has to experience hunger, 
who has to experience pain, who has to experience loss, who has to experience um, uh, others deceiving, others um, thwart, trying to thwart his plan and his will, others torturing him, others spitting on him, literally just experiencing us. He chooses to humble himself to come, not to be served by us, but to serve us. That's Jesus. I mean, when we look at Jesus and what he came to do, I mean, we're just somewhere in the middle. We're like, we're, we're never gonna reach the, the status symbol of Jesus being God incarnate. And at the same time, we're never gonna achieve the humility that Jesus achieved. And so we land in this middle area where we have to, we have to be honest with ourselves. Every single day, we have to fight the temptation to be prideful, the temptation to feel entitled, the, the temptation to think that in some way or another, we are of privilege, and therefore, others should serve us. What he's saying here is, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Don't go and be a part and belong to a church in order for you to get something. Go because I've called you not to be served, but to serve. Because in that, you actually do get something. It's all about the motive of heart here. Now, once we get to that motive of heart and he stirs up those affections for us, it does come to a practicality. Where then do we serve? And there's two places. You pursue opportunities to serve outside the local body of Christ and you pursue opportunities to serve inside the local body of Christ because that's exactly what Jesus did. For three years, he built the church through 12 guys and which then translated over into 120 people at the ascension to which he's empowering men and women to lead out in the church, to serve the church, to have roles within the church in order for the church to flourish both genders, every socioeconomic status, everybody within the church are going to flourish in the ways in which God has designed them to flourish for the glory of God and the joy of all people. This is what he has designed to work and function and he's flipping it on the socioeconomic status, the, the, the cultural norm of society. He's creating a new community within the community and he's telling us there's opportunities for you to serve for you to serve outside and inside. Outside might be as simple as taking a meal to a neighbor, shoveling snow off someone's driveway, buying food for the homeless. Figure it out. Jesus, when he had crowds, multitudes of people following him, they didn't all love and treasure him. But what he was doing in those moments was he was looking for opportunities, just practical ways. Like when they're in the desert, 5,000 people, and they're hungry, he's not saying, hey, you get a car, you get a car, everyone gets a car. No, he's saying, where's the boy with a little lunchbox that's got some fish and some bread? Let me multiply this and get them what they need. They need food right now. So let me provide a practical deed of helpfulness for them. When someone's bringing him a family member who's ill, who's dying, Jesus isn't like, hey, you know what? 
let me just throw some money in your 401k real quick. It's really gonna help you out. They're like, I've got hours to live. How's that gonna help me? And he invests in their physical health and he heals them. He provides a practical deed of helpfulness for that person. Seek out those opportunities that are around you, whether it's in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your sphere of influence, your circles, your domain of lives, wherever it is, look for opportunities to just serve people. And then when it comes inside the church, practical deeds of helpfulness. I mean, seriously, and we always joke about this one, but reading the Bible to babies and changing their diapers is a practical deed of helpfulness. It is. Because not only is it serving those babies to be able to hear the word of God so that it's creating kindling around their lives that as they get older, they're gonna be able to accept Christ because they have heard the gospel. That's beautiful. It's also serving their parents to be able to get a few moments away to be able to come in here and to grow in their relationship with others and also grow in their relationship with Christ. As they hear the gospel sung, as they hear the gospel prayed, as they hear the gospel preached, as they hear the gospel partaken of in communion, they're being served by you as they create some space to be able to come down here because they're not having to chase their kids around. It's serving the church. But in addition to that, you can serve the church through administrative organizational ways that are behind the scenes. Like, thank you, Jenny. I can't do this. I can't create a graphic. Like, you want to know if I'm, like, how I'm going to create a graphic is I'm going to, like. Is it me saying that? Oh, that's hilarious. Technology fail. Oh, it's right back here. Guys. Hey, stop. I didn't say. Okay. All right. Um. We need an IT person <laughs> that just serves the church well, all right? But it's true. Like, there, there are so many different aspects in which your giftings, the way God has designed you and wired you, are allowing you to be able to serve out in the church so that we can each spur one another on. Like, the hand, like, I mean, this is language of scripture. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Like the hand can't go around and saying, I don't need the feet to walk. I can just do handstands everywhere I go. I'm just going to walk on my hands everywhere I go. No, that gets exhausting and, 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 and just doesn't work. We need each other in order for the body to move and function the proper way. The proper way. Like I said, if I was going to create this graphic, I'm opening up Microsoft Word and like dumping in images and trying to like, it gets weird. <laughs> we need each other to fully flesh out this body of Christ. And that's why I love getting to know one another in community because you start to get to know the areas in which people are, um, how God's just giving them passions and giving them desires and giving them abilities to serve out in this way. Not everyone in this room can carry a tune in a bucket. If you don't know what that means, singing. Not everyone can sing. God's uniquely wired certain people to sing and others to sit in the back <laughs> and sing softly. But it's just the way that he's designed it. So we want to see those things begin to come out, especially in community and in worship. We want to see those things come out so that we can begin, we can begin plugging in 
for the sake of serving Christ as we serve one another, as we see more disciples be made disciples. And at the end of the day, all of this is again drawing back to that gospel centrality. Like running slides is making disciples. Parking cars is making disciples. Serving in the nursery is making disciples because it's creating the capacity for people to hear the word of God and to grow in their relationship with Christ so that the overflow is they begin serving, which then begins the result of discipleship, which is what we'll cover next week, which is multiplication. Seeing more people come to know Christ, be discipled in Christ, so that they begin worshiping, belonging, serving, and multiplying themselves so that the church of God is spreading. Therefore, the glory of God is spreading as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at